announcement on uh, Mother's Day here. We have a, a special sermon for Mother's Day, so we're pausing our sermons from Luke, and we're looking at the letters of Timothy, excuse me, of Paul to Timothy. So 2 Timothy, and we'll begin in chapter 1. You may have already noticed uh, that we'll be in two spots in Timothy. And as you're turning in the scriptures to 1 Timothy, let me welcome those who might be watching online. Uh, I know uh, a lot of you in your situation, we're glad you can tune in and we're thankful for our AV crew that makes this possible. They're wonderful unseen servants. Uh, may the Lord meet you and bless you through his word. We'll be reading verse 5 of chapter 1 and then we'll turn to chapter 3 and read two more verses uh, for this morning's sermon and we'll be going back and forth. So if you have First Timothy, keep that open. This is Paul, the apostle, writing to his partner and a young man named Timothy, who was a pastor. It says this in verse 5 in 2 Timothy. It wouldn't do to read from the wrong Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. And then from chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, again, happy Mother's Day. And uh, as we come to Mother's Day, often our thoughts are, are focused on our mothers or the mothers around us uh, or... Um, those things. So why are we looking at a letter from an old guy named Paul to a young man named Timothy? Well, you'll see the connection and the utility for our purposes today. Uh, just very briefly, Paul uh, was writing his farewell letter, as it were, one of the last things he ever wrote, Second Timothy. Paul is in a dungeon in some sort of prison or jail or confinement dark and and very uncomfortable in the city of Rome. He's had his initial hearing and he's going to have another hearing and he knows his end is in sight. So he takes up pen or he dictates to a secretary this letter to this young pastor Timothy. Paul and Timothy were ministry partners for over 15 years. Paul was like a spiritual father to Timothy and likely helped lead him uh, to faith. And if you're not aware, it, aware of it, the Apostle Paul, who wrote many epistles in the New Testament, lists Timothy as the co-author in five epistles. Timothy is a significant spiritual leader in the early church. The disciple and indeed the delegate of an apostle. 
in various places and with many tasks. So this is a big deal, this relationship. And as Paul's thinking of Timothy and as Paul's thinking about all they've gone through together and writes advice to this pastor, isn't it interesting, back in chapter 1 now, (laughs) that he brings up Tim's mom and he brings up his grandmother. What's going on? that they would get mentioned in this last important letter of Paul. As he thinks of Timothy in chapter 1, verse 4, he's tearing up. I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. And as he sees Timothy, he sees in Timothy the fruit of two godly women who are named in the Bible. And so the apostle, under inspiration by the Holy Spirit, says in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Wow, a reference to his mother. You may have heard it said in our culture at large, behind every great man is his mother. Uh, Or sometimes it just says is a great woman. Uh, We know mothers are responsible for so much of who we are. And I'm really glad our culture honors that. I think that's actually a fruit of the Christian flavor of our country that along the way we decided mothers are worth celebrating in a special way. But as uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he brings up the godliness of his mother and the godliness of his grandmother with specific purposes that will unfold in chapter 3. And we do well to pay attention to how the Apostle Paul honors these godly women and encourages their role in the life of this pastor, Pastor Timothy. They have an ongoing effect upon him. Pastor Steve Cole, a retired pastor in Arizona, says one of life's greatest blessings is to have a godly mother, and thus one of the greatest gifts you can give your children is to be a godly mother. We'll talk about both those things as we go through today. I hope that all of us would hear an encouraging word here about uh, mothers and Christian women in general. Uh, They're part and parcel of the Church of Jesus Christ. Let's start uh, somewhat chronologically in 2 Timothy chapter 1, this first chapter, verse 5, and see how uh, faith is found. Uh, The coming to faith, first of Timothy, and then we'll trace it, as it were, backwards, okay? (laughs) Paul is writing, uh, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. How did Timothy come to faith? How did Timothy come to faith? Well, he was a young Christian disciple when he first met Paul uh, and was recruited by Paul. We don't know if it was their first meeting, but it was in Paul's second missionary journey. I don't know if you have a Bible with a map in the back, and one of the maps often traces the four missionary journeys of Paul, the last one being his final destination in Rome. But this was the second journey out. Uh, And so the date would be A.D. 49, 50, or 51, right in that time frame. And the story is told to us in Acts chapter 16. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 16. 
In Acts chapter 16, just the first few verses tell us a lot that we need to know about Timothy and his parents. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. So on the second missionary journey, it actually started in chapter 15, and as they got started on the second journey, Barnabas peels off with John Mark, and that's the start of the second. So Paul comes to Derby and Lystra without his partners, and it says, coincidentally, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them uh, for, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders, that's a reference to Acts 15, who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. God orchestrated Paul to have a partner with this young, I don't know if we can say green behind the ears because he's a believer and he was spoken of so well. But he meets him in Lystra on his second missionary journey and he's already a believer. So we're getting closer to finding out how he came to faith. We're told that he had a father, we don't know the father's name, who was Greek. He was a non-Jew and a non-believer, apparently, because he had not allowed Eunice to have their son circumcised in infancy. And we don't know exactly Timothy's age when he came to profess faith, but we know his exposure to faith started in his infancy. His mother's name, we do know, her name was Eunice. She was a Jewish woman who was also a believer. And both Timothy and Eunice and Lois, as we'll hear, had a sincere faith. That's important. His mother Eunice was not a nominal believer. She was sincere in her faith. That word means unfeigned, not fake, but real. And Paul noted it when he visited that day. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But I just want to comment on the importance of Eunice having a sincere faith. As one preacher put it, one prime quality which such a woman needs is sincere faith. The word sincere means literally not hypocritical. It's possible to have a hypocritical, not genuine form of faith. And he says, phony faith is the mask that is put on in front of church members or out in public, but the mask is set aside in the home. The parents may be fighting as they drive to church, but when they drive in the parking lot, they act as if everything is just great. And he says, kids smell that kind of phoniness a mile away. So it doesn't help just to be a nominal Christian and go to church, carry a Bible, and get home, put the Bible on the shelf, and take off your Christian views. Because kids will spot it every time. A sincere faith doesn't mean you're perfect. But it means you're real. 
And part of a sincere faith in the home, whether you're a godly mom or a godly dad, is applying the gospel to yourself when you mess up. I've done it. I hope you've done it. Where you have to take the child to yourself and say, look, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have lost my temper. That was wrong. Do you forgive me? That's a sincere faith. That's a gospel-oriented faith at work in the home. We're not talking about being perfect. We're talking about being the real deal. You believe the gospel and apply it often. And Timothy, growing up at that home, saw his dad, who wasn't a believer, and saw his mom and his grandmother, who were believers, who taught him the scriptures, and he believed Timothy was brought to faith in that home by his mother and by his grandmother. So let's look back one step further. What are the origins of his mother's sincere faith? Since we're talking a lot about Eunice and then about Lois, where did they come to faith? Well, we know they were Jewish women back those two generations. Mom Eunice and Grandma Lois both were likely converted at Lystra where they lived on Paul's first missionary journey you see the second journey paul made so he could check up on the believers there and what did he find he found a young timothy ready to go on the road and be his helper but on his first visit he had to bring the gospel there so turn back a page or two to acts chapter uh, 14 paul's first missionary journey started in acts 13 continues in Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas are going out for the first time and your map will show this route. They came uh, to the city of Iconium and uh, there was trouble there. So after Iconium, uh, according to uh, verse 8, they went to Lystra. They fled to Lystra. They were working among the Jews and the Jews at Iconium didn't like that. So they fled to Lystra. Um, And there, Paul performed a great miracle, the text tells us, and uh, the crowd wanted to start worshiping them, and he said, no, no, don't do that. And then, of course, um, verse 19, Acts 14, verse 19, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. This happened in Lystra. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel in that city and had made many other disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in each church, that includes Lystra, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. People came to faith in Lystra, and I submit to you, it was Lois and Eunice among the people in Lystra who had seen and questioned and wondered. These women who were already mature in the Old Testament scriptures, behaved like Bereans, assessed the preaching of Jesus as Messiah, and they came to faith. Because when Paul comes next time, Timothy 
is also a believer. And these women were believers with sincere faith. Paul's evangelistic efforts planted the church. And that's where the faith of the grandmother and mother came from. And that's where Timothy's faith comes from. And that's what Paul rejoices in, in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Before we move on, we need to point this out. Timothy did not simply inherit saving faith from his mother. And one strong, very strong statement that helps us remember the Bible's teaching is this. And, and hear me carefully. God has no grandchildren. I have grandchildren and I commend them to the Lord in prayer regularly. But God relates to human beings as a father, not a grandfather. Because everyone who comes to the father through Jesus is a son or daughter directly. Not a third, fourth generation. Because each and every individual soul, boys and girls, you need to have faith in Jesus as an individual person. You're not a Christian just because mom and dad are Christians or your grandfather was a Christian. This is taught very explicitly in John's Gospel, chapter 1. If, you're, if you have any questions, these are the verses you need to meditate upon and study. <clears throat> John chapter 1 says this in verses 12 and 13. As, Je- as it speaks of Jesus coming into the world. But to all who did receive him, who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So everyone who meets Jesus and hears the gospel, whether then or today, has the opportunity to become a child of God. Not a grandchild of God, a child of God. And verse 13 of John 1 points out the ways that that doesn't happen. How are we born again? Well, not of blood, meaning it's not through genetics. The children of the preacher still need to come to faith in Christ. There's no automatic because of your genetics. And it goes on to say, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It's not really even your own will that saves yourself or someone else's will that saves you. It's the spirit of applying the work of Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And the best way to remember that is God has no grandchildren. And parents, this is one thing you need to emphasize with your children and with your grandchildren. But a child can be led to faith by his parents and that regularly happens. We don't just automatically inherit, but we are often led to Christ by a parent. That played a role in my own conversion. I grew up in a, in a church home where my dad was the liberal Protestant pastor and my mom was a, a very conservative, Bible-believing mother. And there were some efforts to share that with me. And there were also my grandparents, uh, Floyd and Olive, I remember visiting their home, seeing them on their knees, praying for Debbie, David, and Paul. That's me and my siblings. Parents and grandparents can lead and push 
and point others to Christ. Steve Cole, that pastor from Arizona, said, Who knows what lifelong influence Lois and Eunice had on young Timothy? Sure, he was strengthened greatly through his relationship with Paul, but the foundation was laid by his godly mother and grandmother. He says, it is not too much to argue that world history is shaped in the home through godly mothers. It's profound. We extol the the Spurgeons and the Billy Grahams and those who can preach from a pulpit, but there are millions upon millions who preach at a bedside, at a kitchen table, in a car, in a letter, over years. Mothers. Let's talk briefly about women in nurturing faith and how this is done because I want to give some advice and direction to the the mothers among us and for those who would encourage mothers. Um, Let's turn in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for just a a quick look. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because the first point, how women nurture faith, how mothers nurture faith, how anyone nurtures faith, is to spend every day in use of God's word. Not simply to know the word, but to use it. And of course, you need to know it, to use it. In Deuteronomy 6, you'll recognize these verses, 6 through 9, and it'll sound familiar to you. But we're thinking of it in the context of Eunice raising Timothy. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's not take that overly literal, but let's take that seriously. You need to know God's word and believe it and live it out. It should shape your heart. And then you need to convey that, teach that to the next generation. When and how? Well, Deuteronomy 6 tells us. You talk of it when you're sitting, when you're standing, in the morning, in the evening, when you're coming, when you're going. It's describing everyday life. You're cooking in the kitchen and your child is there. And you, and you see maybe some rotten food and you could point out an illustration of sin. Where you talk about uh, how the leaven causes the bread to rise and you can, talk about infl- you can talk about so many scriptural things in the course of kitchen activity. Or when you're out in the marketplace and you see some transaction. Perhaps you go uh, to a vendor and pay your bill and you come home and it's marked paid and you can speak about Jesus' words from the cross, to telestai, it is finished, paid in full. Do you see what the scripture is telling parents to do? Make everyday use of the word of God. 24-7 in your daily habits of interaction. They should also be daily habits of instruction. In other words, you live out your sincere faith. And you give voice to what you know and believe. And in teaching, 
there are several steps. You're not just telling, you're leading, you're explaining, you're illustrating, and then you're following up. Do you understand? Oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. I mean this. It's the privilege of a parent. It's the duty of a parent. And as Lois and Eunice were raised Jewish, they did that with the Jewish scriptures. They were well-versed with the Jewish scriptures. And because they had a sincere faith in God, I believe as Jews, they raised Timothy with an awareness of the scriptures. So when the gospel comes along about the Jewish Messiah, bells go off and the Holy Spirit brings life to those hearts and minds. The key to understanding the gospel and the Messiah is the Old Testament. And those scriptures were sufficient to make one wise unto salvation. Even before the New Testament was complete, you could come to faith through the Old Testament scriptures. Well, if you're making everyday use of the word, what would be some results? Let me just point to two parents in the Bible, two godly mothers. To see what their daily use of God's word led them to do. Think of Hannah. Do you remember back in 1 Samuel? Uh, Samuel's mother was Hannah. She was barren and she was troubled. And the Lord answered her prayer. And she was going to have a child. So in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah has a very long prayer of praise and aspiration. It's one of the most theological prayers in the entire Bible. It's amazing. Hannah's prayer. And of course, some scholars say, oh, well, Hannah wouldn't know that. Well, I think she did if she was raised in a God-fearing home and acquainted with the scriptures of God to know how to speak to the Almighty. You learn a lot about how mature a believer is by their prayers, not by the big words they use, but by their passion for the truth about God. Hannah's prayer tells us much. She prays a theologically rich prayer. Or go to the New Testament. There's a young woman who is very surprised that she's going to be a mother. Her name is Mary. And uh, she was betrothed to Joseph. But the angel says you're going to be a parent. So in Luke chapter 1, with this news and with this baby on the way, she sings a theologically rich song. And that's been a constant encouragement to so many people to read that and go back to that. I read that and I'm blessed by Mary's theologically rich song. Men and women who imbibe the word of God and have a sincere faith show those kinds of results. Not every believer the same way, but that's what we should be seeing. And there are godly, theologically profound women throughout the Bible. And Eunice and Lois, I think, are among them. The main way children grow up to love and serve God is through his word. God's word of truth is powerful to save and to sanctify his people. The best thing you can do for your kids is instill in them from an early age the importance of reading, studying, memorizing And obeying God's word. Is that what we're doing? Everyday use of the word. Well further how else did Eunice and Lois. uh, 
share faith and nurture faith in Timothy, they didn't do it alone. I think they did it in the context of the local church, the church where disciples of Jesus grow and serve together. Do you notice how Paul went on his missionary journeys, right? And he went to Derby and Lystra and Iconium. Things didn't go well every place. Nevertheless, a church was planted. There were believers that were gathered. And among those believers, Paul appointed an elder, meaning there were enough believers to have a fellowship. And someone led that fellowship and participated in it. And it was in the context of those local churches that believers would grow together. Paul doesn't say, Oh, the elder in Lystra. Timothy, remember the elder. Remember that first pastor of yours? We don't know that name. He does call out Eunice and Lois. But Eunice and Lois weren't alone. To raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord really calls for the help of the people of God. The spiritual family. And when your physical family and the spiritual family overlap, that's just a double blessing. It really is. I mentioned my grandparents a minute ago. I want to tell you a little something about my grandmother. Her name was Olive Bertha White. Uh, Quite a name. And she was one of nine children. There were two girls and seven boys. And she was, uh, I believe, one of the oldest ones. When my grandmother Olive uh, uh, died, I was there at the funeral, and my, or my grandfather died first, then my grandmother. And one of the things that came to me after the house was closed up was a set of books, because I was off to seminary. And I got a, uh, an early edition, six volumes of Matthew Henry's Commentaries. My grandfather was a banker, but my grandmother was a Bible scholar. She led the ladies' uh, Bible study at her church for years. My grandfather was like an elder in this Kenosha Bible church back in Wisconsin. They named the steeple after him when they built the new church. He did many godly things, but my grandmother was the careful student of Scripture. When I opened these green volumes, I still have them. I almost meant to bring it. I'm reading and using these books, and I see their names, Floyd and Olive, on the cover. And I looked in Romans, and some loose papers fell out. The old onion skin paper that had been put through a typewriter. They were typed notes that my grandmother had prepared for her women's Bible study on Romans 9. Three or four pages. And I'm reading those and holding those. The woman that raised my mother, the woman who prayed on her knees for Debbie David and Paul Bissett, had studied Romans 9 and was teaching Romans 9 to other women. That was an amazing realization for me. It works both ways. The church helps godly mothers. Godly mothers help the church and contribute. If you're a godly woman, there's a place for you in the church to to affect others with your understanding, to share. Three or four years ago, there was a Nine Marks ministry article on their website, and I thought it was very helpful when it said this, mature women who can serve, teach, and disciple are essential in any healthy church. 
Sometimes women like Priscilla are even used by God to help influential men like Apollos, quote, explain the way of God more accurately to him. We need to study God's word with our sisters. We need to deploy godly, mature women in our midst to do the things that God has asked them to do. I'm glad my grandmother did, that I know about it. Well, the final thing I want to do today is look at chapter 3, and we must hurry on. 2 Timothy chapter 3, these additional comments from Paul to Timothy. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Let me read them once again. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for the salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is pressing Timothy about the future. Paul and Timothy, co-authors of five epistles. They traveled for 15 years. He's been a pastor. Paul's already written one letter and commended him in many ways. And now he's saying, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Your faith has to look to the future. So what does Paul tell him as he presses him to continue? We remember that Timothy was already a pastor and an established Christian. But it's as if he's saying, Timothy, you're never too old to keep learning and you're never too old to benefit from the life and teaching of your godly mother. That's where he goes, is it not? As he presses Timothy to continue, he says, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Knowing from whom? I appreciate that the ESV here with the word whom has a little footnote and your Bible at the bottom should have the footnote to remind us that the word whom is plural. In most manuscripts, in the best manuscripts, it's plural. Who else is Paul thinking? Paul mentored Timothy, right? Yes, Paul is pointing to himself. That's what the context tells us. Verse 10, you, however, followed my teaching, my conduct. He was Timothy's spiritual model but he says whom plural and in the following phrases makes reference once again to his mother and grandmother positive teaching and examples are so valuable says dan doriani that paul reminds timothy of his spiritual heritage it's that important Timothy, one of the reasons you are who you are and you know what you know is because of these women as well as me. Know and remember who has taught you, whom God has brought into your life to bless you. Doriani goes on to say, what a blessing to see beloved family members walk with God. What a bulwark, he says, against doubt and confusion. May all who have godly families give thanks for their example. And may godly parents aspire to set an example of sincere faith for their children and grandchildren. I couldn't help but when Elder George Bailey was here reading the scriptures, I was sitting right behind him. Did a great job putting it in context and setting it out. Knowing what was coming. 
I was thinking of Evelyn Bailey, a mother who raised you for most of your life without your dad present. What a godly woman, faithful in serving Christ. You remember who did what. And that's part of the help. Paul gives Timothy this help. Timothy, in the future, you know what he's going to say in chapter 4? People are going to have itching ears. They're going to want everything. Stay the course. One of the ways Paul tells Timothy to stay the course is remember how God has richly provided for you through these women and through me. And he also emphasizes, continue in what you have learned. Remember the scriptures. He says, and how from childhood, he doesn't just say you had a happy childhood. He says, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, holy scripture. And for Timothy, it was at first the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the wisdom of Proverbs. Timothy had taken that all in. And then to it added the gospel and the writings and teachings of Paul. The scriptures, Timothy, we never outgrow the gospel. We never outgrow the foundation of God's word and the need to pay attention to it. Now's the right moment to read verses 16 and 17, perhaps some of your favorite verses. Paul reminds him, remember you learned this from the beginning, from infancy. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Stay the course with the holy scriptures. Let me make three applications and we'll be done. Three directives for all of us, not just for the mothers among us. Number one, start them young. Start them young. Paul here in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy says how from childhood, that word means infancy, toddlerhood, nursery time. As they're learning to say mama and dada and papa. Do they know to fold their hands in prayer, however we teach prayer? Do they know to uh, the name Jesus? Are we reading to these children uh, the, the read aloud Bible stories so that they become acquainted with the things about God? Start them young. Use portions of stories when they're little. And if you're having family worship, just even take an idea or sentence from the Proverbs and discuss it. Start with bites before you take a whole meal of scripture. And as your children grow, you can adjust and get them into better books and guide their reading and spend time with them. I would hope that by the time children are in high school, they've all been told to read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, that beautiful picture of the Christian life or, or the the stories of C.S. Lewis along the way, many things that create and sustain a Christian worldview. But we start them young with prayer as well. Spurgeon tells a story how every Sunday evening, Spurgeon's dad was a pastor and he would often be away. His mother would stay home with the children and read and explain the scriptures to them and plead with them 
to think about the state of their souls and to seek the Lord. Spurgeon remembers uh, one time her praying, and he wrote this down. Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. He says, that thought of a mother's bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience and stirred my heart. Because if we're teaching them from infancy infancy, the scriptures, it also needs to talk about sin and uncleanness and the need to repent and believe. Not just the happy stories. Share your lunch. Be nice. There's more in the Bible than that. Start them early and be faithful. A second point I want to point out because it comes right from this story, and it's this. Go solo if you must. Do you remember? Timothy's father was not a believer. Eunice had a lot of work to do solo. The Bible tells us two are better than one, and God designs parenting to be the work of a man and a woman raising their children. That's the ideal. But Eunice had to go solo on this. And that should encourage you, if you're in a similar situation, it can be done. And you can raise up Timothy's by the grace of God. Let's encourage single moms or spiritually solo moms. And we have some. Someone speculated, Eunice's story is in the Bible to give hope to women in mixed marriages. If her son Timothy could grow up to follow the Lord as he did, then God can do the same for your children, even if your husband is not a believer. Indeed. Final application, after start, after go, is the word live. Live consistently with scripture yourself. Your example must match your instruction, not perfectly, but gospel-driven Genuine, sincere faith. You must grow in your own faith, your own love, and your own obedience to the Lord. The character of a godly mother is a great incentive to holding fast the scriptures that she taught you. May Clifton Park Community Church be a church that raises sincere, godly thinking boys and girls to become spiritually active and sincere fathers and mothers who share the gospel, model the gospel, and disciple others as God builds his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for godly mothers among us. We thank you for the role that our parents have played in bringing us to faith. And we pray that you would Safeguard the gospel in each and every coming generation as the Lord tarries, as our culture is less and less friendly with Christianity. May mothers and fathers be faithful and see the fruit of their labors. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.